0: decades america has struggled to combat the harms of drug use but the harms have increased and the fight is endless because we've been wrong what if we changed our drug policies to actually decrease the harms of drug use and increase thriving for all of us our criminal approach to drugs had a beginning and it will have an end join us on the journey to end it for good
1: Welcome to the End It For Good podcast. I'm Christina Dent, your host with Mike Madison, my co-host and producer. We're going to jump right in with our guest, who is Dr. Bruce Alexander. Welcome to the show, Dr. Alexander.
2: Thank you very much, Christina. I'm, I'm happy to be part of your show.
1: Uh, to our listeners, if you've read the book Chasing the Scream by Johan Hari, which is a book that we do um, book discussions about around the state in Mississippi, You'll be familiar with um, Dr. Alexander's uh, story of his Rat Park experiments. He was the architect behind those, um, which is one of the most compelling pieces that people here have found about the book is the role of social um, disconnection and emotional trauma in driving addiction. So we wanted to talk about that, and we want Dr. Alexander to tell us about those experiments, and um, we're going to do that in the first episode. He's going to do a two-part series with us, and then he'll be back um, next week to talk about kind of the broader work that he's doing, understanding addiction, Um, because even when we end the war on drugs, um, which I do think will happen in my lifetime, that we still are always going to be needing to deal with what is driving people to numb their lives through any number of, of things um, outside of drugs as well. So we're going to talk a little bit about that as well, because what we want is for people to be less harmed and be able to have a better life. And so we have to uh, address all aspects of why people are turning to substances and activities um, to numb lives they don't want to be fully present for. Dr. Alexander is a retired professor of psychology from Vancouver, Canada. He has a Ph.D. in psychology from the University of Wisconsin, and he's been fascinated by addiction since he moved to Vancouver 50 years ago. One of the reasons for that is that Vancouver has the highest concentration of addicted people in Canada. So he studied addiction through experimental research, clinical counseling, interviewing, reading ancient history, anthropology, sociology, and he is not finished yet, even in his retirement. Dr. Alexander, you're retired now, and you've mentioned uh, in your emails to me about your grandkids. What's your favorite thing to do with them?
2: <laughs> my favorite thing is to, is to let my, my four-year-old grandson, who is the youngest of them right now, take me on a, a guided tour through the, through the forest, because we live in a, on an island here in the west coast of Canada, and uh, he loves to go in the forest. And of course, he can't go very far. He's got these short little legs. But he loves to take me on a trip and I love to follow him because his you know his little mind is discovering stuff and he wants to tell about it and that, that's just so exciting. That's what I love to do.
1: That's fantastic. I have a four- year-old little boy myself so it's a wonderful age. Yes,
2: oh it is it, it's a great age yeah.
1: So what did you believe about drug use and addiction prior to your Rat Park experiments? These were decades ago now. And so help us kind of take your own journey of how you what you believed and then take us into Rat Park and kind of how did your thinking on that shift? So where did you start um, in your understanding of addiction?
2: Okay, I'd love to tell you that story. First, let me correct one small thing which is that the Rat Park experiment is not mine alone. You didn't say it was, but I want to be clear. It's, it's, a, it's a group of us who did it. I, I got the money, so I guess I, I'm i the senior investigator. But, but there were several of us, and, and uh, we all came to it with the, the prejudice of our age. Now, we're going back 50 years. And interestingly, the prejudice of 50 years ago was quite similar to the prejudice today. Mm-hmm. That is... We were all brought up to believe that there are certain drugs that if you take them, they will, they will grab hold of you and make, you know, irretrievably make you into an addicted person. And there's really not much to do about it after that. And I learned that actually from Batman in a comic book when I was 10 and I went and asked my dad about it and he said, yep, that's it. And, um, I believed it, of course. And then I went to graduate school, and I learned the same thing in graduate school. Only only in graduate school, they put it in different language, right? They they put it in terms of the brain and conditioned responses and conditioned withdrawal symptoms and all this, this fancy stuff. But it's really the same idea that this thing takes away people's willpower. And, of course, I believed that until I went and started interviewing addicts, you know, and, and bear in mind, this is 50 years ago, I'm only 30. They're not much younger than me. And, and so, you know, they, they could talk to me, and they're telling me there's these stories about what they're doing as addicted people and why they're doing it. It has nothing to do with this, um, this loss of willpower. They're, they're telling me why they're doing it and and they're telling me the you know the kind of excitement they get about being thieves and gangsters in their their gangs and the girls are telling me about the uh the world of prostitution and it's not like they're all excited about what they have to do to earn the money but they're they're excited about hanging around with the other girls and 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 the so they're telling me these stories and I'm thinking wait a minute this doesn't sound like what Batman was telling me so uh I was teaching at Simon Fraser University and I'd go up there and I'd tell my students what these uh, junkies, that's what they call themselves, junkies, were telling me. And and people were very disdainful because they all knew the Batman story, right? It's just a drug that takes away people's willpower. And if it is just that, of course... The logical thing to do is to have a war on drugs. We must get that drug off the street. And anyone who sells that drug on the the street is essentially a murderer. And so we must have them in jail. And it doesn't matter if the police beat them up a little bit on the way into jail because they're really horrible people. So I got that story back from my students, of course, because they learned about it from Batman 2 or whatever with the mass media sources of the day. And and the and at one point, one student changed my life because he raised his hand in the back of the, the classroom and he said, "Don't you know about the rats?" And of course, I did know about the rats. The the rats. There was a series of experiments that were headline news in those in those days, and what they were is that if you put rats in a little tiny thing called a Skinner box, which is about as big as maybe six milk cartons you know it's not a big box um you put them in there and you give them a a, a lever to press on the wall and you you hook them up so that whenever they press the lever on the wall they get a little jolt of heroin injected into their jugular vein which goes right to their brain um they'll just keep pressing and pressing and this as i say this was headline news in 1970 because this is the proof that, that there is a drug that not only takes away human willpower, willpower, but takes away the willpower of all God's creatures, including the lowly rat. And if there is such a thing, you need look no further. The explanation is all there. The explanation is in the drug and in the human brain. So we thought, my little group of friends and I, we thought, no, there's something wrong with this experiment. Because here we've got this rat in a in a tiny box. The box is really not much bigger than the rat. The rat has to make an effort to turn around in this box. Um, and And the rat will do nothing but take heroin in the box, but he's got nothing, whatever else to do. Maybe this is a crazy experiment. Maybe this is like putting a human being in solitary confinement and saying, mm. well you know, they'll take any drug you, you will, they can get their hands on in there because they've got nothing else to do and they're basically being tortured. Rats, by the way, are are just as social as human beings. They they are very gregarious creatures. So we built Rat Park and, and Rat Park is, is designed to be a paradise for, for rats. It was designed after my garage floor, which is a paradise for rats to this day. And and you know, it's just It's just a lot of junk flying around in a big box. (laughs) And uh, we gave the rats the opportunity to take morphine. We used morphine rather than heroin um, because heroin was so dreaded we couldn't even get it for our experiments. Wow. And then we had other rats in little cages and they have the opportunity to take morphine. And the and the, the short version of the story, it's actually a very complicated experiment, but the short version of the story is that the rats in Rat Park they don't like it. They, you know, they, they do take a little. Um, in the way, you know, a person might have a beer once in a while. It's like that. Whereas the ones in the cages take it compulsively and in in the way in, in a way which Looks like the way human addicts take it, so we we concluded that those that when that guy said, Don't you know about the rats? he was referring to experiments which were invalid hmm. because because they were they were taking tortured rats and showing they couldn't resist heroin. well, of course they can't, that's right, nor can tortured human beings, but normal rats and normal human beings can resist it very well. So, so anyway, that's, that's how Rat Park came about. Now, there's much more to the, to the methodology, I could tell you, or people can read about it if they want to. Uh, but that's the basic story.
1: Well, I remember, so I grew up in the 80s. I was born in 83, so 80s and 90s. I remember the original Rat Park experiments. I remember hearing about that growing up. You know, you put rats in a cage with, you know, heroin and they go nuts and they kill themselves. And, you know, this is, um, you know, this is what happens to you. You know, I, I grew up kind of during the, the um, just say no to drugs and that, you know, Nancy Reagan's campaign against that. And, you know, the egg in the frying pan. This is what happens to you. Um, and I remember that I was it was so interesting to read about Rat Park because I remember those original experiments being told to me. I don't even remember where. Um, but I remember that message and those pictures of those rats in that cage, uh, and then realizing there's actually far more to the story than just putting rats in a cage with heroin.
2: Well, I'm I'm glad you heard about Rat Park, and you, and you're unusual in that regard because most people didn't in the 1980s. No, I'm saying
1: the- I heard about the original, not the Rat Park experiment, the original oh. rat experiment that your that your uh, that student you know, had held up. No, I didn't hear about Rat Park until I read Chasing the Scream a couple of years ago. <laughs>
2: well, that's, that's the weird thing, is that is that the original experiments, of course, everybody heard about them. They were headline news. But Rat Park, nobody heard about because it disappeared. It sank like a stone, even though it was published in, in the best scientific literature. Um, and it was true. It's been replicated and everything else. But it, it disappeared until recently. So we have Johan Hari and but a bunch of other people, too, have rediscovered it. There's even a Rat Park comic book now, a scientific comic book. Yeah.
1: So and, was, and, but that's an interesting thing. So let's talk about that, of why... Uh, This seems to happen regularly, that we have something, research come out that helps us have a more nuanced approach to something. And it just seems like humans are, we want the easy thing. We want the thing that's just easy to quick put the bow on top and move on. Uh, Why is it, do you think, what's your experience? Why is it that when something like Rat Park comes out, it's so difficult for us to embrace that?
2: Well, I want to say first that that you're right this this goes way beyond the, the heroin, and we have had the same experience with with cocaine and methamphetamine and And what happens is each time we have a panic, we go back to the most simple ways of thinking about something. so in nineteen seventy the panic was heroin in between we've had a panic with uh, cocaine and then crack cocaine and then methamphetamine. And in every case, we come back to this simplistic story. And now, we're, of course, we're having a, a heroin panic again, along with fentanyl and OxyContin. And we're back to this simplistic story again. And I think the, the answer why we do that is, is, is genuine terror. It's fear. When, you know When we're facing the prospect that our son or our daughter or our grandchild might overdose and die... We're terrified. And, and of course, we want to think something very simple. And the last thing we want to think is that maybe there's something in the social world that that child has got to deal with, which is making them want to use these drugs as a way of escaping the misery of their existence. We don't want to think that because that's way too complicated. That requires requires an enormous... um, change of 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 society in order to solve the problem we want a simple solution so the simple solution is the drug just causes us just drives us crazy it takes our our um, reasoning ability away it takes our willpower away it makes us into drug zombies and we got to stop that drug we and this happens as you have said it happens over and over and over when we're afraid and i think we you know, we let our fear is important because we've got to do something about these problems. But it's our fear also makes us stupid because it makes us cling to simplistic solutions.
1: That really only end up harming us more. But, yeah, that's so true that it's difficult to um, to sit with one of the uh, quotes in Johan Hari's um, book, Chasing the Scream, is, you know, it's so difficult to sit with complex problems rather than just trying to slap a Band-Aid on it and move on and just hope that, you know, all of that fear that we feel in ourselves over it um, goes away. And but when we do that, when we try to just slap the Band-Aid on, um, it, it just doesn't help. Like you have said in um, one of your writings um, called treatment for addiction why aren't we doing better um, you went through kind of what you were just talking about about all the different substances that have had this this moral panic time to them including you know airplane glue and you know other things like that you know in one of our previous episodes Mike was talking about uh, bath salts you know and now in Mississippi we just did an episode on Kratom you know there's a there's a panic now that we got to ban Kratom because you know somebody's husband had a, a terrible experience with it I'm not not discounting their experience. But the, the easy thing in the last two months, and we have six or seven counties in Mississippi that have banned Kratom. They made it a criminal offense punishable by jail time and a fine. So so we're, we're still dealing with this, this immediate visceral response to, to something that makes us feel afraid. And what do we do with that?
2: Well, we're very proud of ourselves in, in Vancouver, which is my city. We're very proud of ourselves because we have got beyond it, and and this this is something which took 50 years to get beyond. And I've, you know, because it's all been within my lifetime. I've 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 had a chance to see it, and 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 we you know, we hold ourselves up as a good example because we we don't um, express this panic in the same way anymore. We used to have in our city two big prisons i mean really big prisons and they were filled with drug drug users and and drug dealers um both those prisons are torn down now they're gone that's not to say we don't have prisons elsewhere and and we we, you know we haven't got rid of all crime or anything like that but but we have gone we have gone beyond the um panic over drugs which which makes us think that the only solution is to drag people off and put them in jail and lock them up for for long periods of time. And the reason we were able to get beyond it, I mean, the the major reason, I think, uh, the credit really goes to the police, because 50 years ago, um, well, let me say first, there were always people who were opposed to this war on drug simplistic solution to a complex problem. There were always such people. But about 50 years ago, roughly, the police started turning against it. And, and certain very brave policemen just stood up and said, look, we're, you know, we're, we're, we're beating these people up and putting them in jail over and over and over again, and it isn't helping us at all. They, they just keep coming back. And, and when the police finally realized, and, and some were brave enough to, to say publicly that they couldn't solve the problem, then things began to change, and they've been changing ever since so that so the, as I say, we're proud of ourselves and I don't mean to to, to rub it in how good <laughs> it <is. laughs> but you know we uh, we now have places where people who feel they have to take drugs can go and shoot up safely and there you know there's a doctor there in case they overdose, and we also have really good treatment opportunities and um, we don't need those two big prisons anymore. So now people live in those, you know, there's housing where mm-hmm. there used to be prisons. And, and so we've solved half our problem. Unfortunately, we haven't solved the other half. I mean, the, the, the problem that we've solved is is how not to overreact. So we're not mm-hmm. overreacting anymore. But we haven't solved the problem of addiction. Our addiction problem is as bad as it ever was. So and there's.
1: This, a, yeah, go ahead.
2: Well, there's our problem. That's the problem that I think we we'll have to deal with now is that even once we get past the evil war on drugs, as I really think it's evil we will not have solved the problem. And that's that's where we have to start dealing with the complexity of the problem.
1: And that's what we're going to get to on our uh, next episode next week. Dr. Alexander is going to be back with us, and we're going to delve into um, his research, his lifetime interest and in research into the drivers of addiction. So the Rat Park helped to highlight how um, – when you put people in a cage, when you traumatize them, when you take away meaningful connections, this is what's driving those rats to use uh, the drugs compulsively and to overdose on them. Um, and it also is what is driving many people into deeper drug use or to deeper addiction. When uh, So we can't punish people out of their addictions because it is trauma and disconnection already that is largely driving their addictions. Um But just like what Dr. Alexander said, so we end the war on drugs. We when we shift to health based approaches, as he has said, you know, they're half of the way there in Vancouver. So they fixed half the problem and they still have the other half the problem. That's what we're going to talk about next time. Um, How can we deal with uh, the underlying drivers of addiction that aren't coming from the drug war? but that are coming from other things. So a massive amount of them are coming from the drug war. They fixed those, that half. And now the other half that aren't coming from the war, but are coming from all these other um, drivers of disconnection and what's driving addiction, how we can approach that, what Dr. Alexander's learned about that in his years of um, research. And uh, we're really excited to have um, him again next week. So thank you for engaging today by listening and learning. You can access Dr. Alexander's work at brucekalexander.com. Or you can just Google Bruce Alexander addiction and find him that way as well. His newest book on addiction is called The Globalization of Addiction, A Study in Poverty of the Spirit. Um, I love that term, poverty of the spirit. We're going to get into that in our next episode. We're so thankful for his work and his time sharing that. With us, and now you uh, listening can share that with other people. So, End It For Good exists because uh, there's a movement of people who want to share their interest, um, who want to engage in these issues, not out of fear, but out of trying to understand how can we really uh, help for our world to be better? How can we leave it better for our children and grandchildren? Um, and we want more people to enter that conversation that comes through. Uh, Facebook, through the podcast, through book discussions across the the state, and people sharing those with their circles of influence. I want to encourage you and challenge you to do that if you're finding these helpful. I'm Christina Dent, your host, along with Mike Madison, my co-host and producer. And we want to save lives. We want to help improve lives. Uh, And we believe ending the war on drugs uh, can get us a lot of the way there. Um, And we're going to continue with Dr. Alexander next on what can get us more of the way there. Thanks for
0: joining us. So how do we end our criminal approach to drugs? By changing one mind at a time. Many people are only willing to have this conversation when they are invited to by someone they trust. That's you. Invite your friends, family, and people in your circle of influence to consider a better way. At End It For Good, our hope is that people who hear will become people who tell. Join the movement to end it for good.